boys and girls, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gives us new life, and he's doing a new thing for us. Get always donut. Believers but climb. Doing a new thing. Get always donut. He's doing it. Believers but climb. Doing a new thing. Oh no, no. So I have a number of rules before we even start. Rule number one, don't drop anything on the floor. Rule number two, if you need to go to the bathroom, you don't. Rule number three, you don't speak unless I ask you to. So that everyone can hear what we've got to say. <laughs> What you just heard is our lovely new theme song composed by our own Russell here on the show. So thank you, Russell. Oh, you're welcome. But yeah, today we have got another fun one. Um, hope you're listening on Monday morning when we release these episodes. And today's episode is brought to you by Luke 20 verses 46 and 47. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Today we're talking about Joel Osteen. Marissa, are you familiar with Joel Osteen? I am and it's mostly because of you, but for good reason. For anybody who doesn't know who Joel Osteen is, which I don't think that that's possible at this point, but if you don't know who he is, he's a televangelist. We've talked about him before on this show. Marissa is a huge fan. Inspiration Cube. Of his Inspiration Cube. I, with my wife, before we were married, had the, um, I don't know, privilege of seeing Joel Osteen live at the Key Arena in Seattle. That's a good word for it. Privilege, not pleasure. I was duped. I was duped into seeing it. Not by, not by Margaret, by Margaret's mom. The way she presented this to us was, I've got tickets for this inspirational speaker at the Key Arena. I think you guys will like him. Will you come with me? I mean, it's not like you had to pay for it. I didn't have to pay for it. I didn't give him any money. This is about 2009, not to get into too much business, uh, but it was a messy time personally for my mother-in-law and I wanted to support her. So we went, had no idea who this guy was, but I got to tell you, inspirational speaker is probably a better description of him than preacher to be honest every sermon is exactly the same it's formatted exactly the same where he he comes out there and he tells a a really corny dad joke it's always like a non-offensive corny joke and like he'll tell a story about like a guy was at a bar and there was a six foot tall muscular blonde sitting at the bar and he said hey can i tell you a blonde joke and the six foot blonde said Okay, but before you do, I just want to let you know that uh, I'm six foot tall and I'm a professional weightlifter. And my friend here, she's six foot two and she's a professional wrestler and she's also blonde. And next to her, six foot four, is our other friend. And she's one of the strongest women in the world. So if you want to tell us that joke now, go ahead. Just be prepared. And the guy said, Oh, I don't want to have to explain it three times. <laughs> That's more or less how Joel Osteen opened at the arena for us. And then he does this thing that Margaret cannot stand. Did it when we were alive. And she's like, what the hell is going on? He goes into the thing that Margaret hates, which is his Bible mantra. So I have to ask, does he actually call it a mantra? Because when you were telling me about this, I was like, mantras kind of little bit getting into Eastern mysticism. I don't know if he wants to use that word. No, it's... Mantra is a word that that I've ascribed to it. It is something that other people have have used. Chant, creed, code are other words ascribed to this. So just so you know, he got this from his dad. As far as I know, his dad or his mom wrote it. Osteen 
took out a few lines from his dad's mantra. Yeah, I can just rattle it off real quick. I'll say it like John Osteen's dad. <laughs> Pentecostally voice. Here we go. All right, everybody, put your Bibles on the air. Repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, 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 never will I be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. That was fantastic. A plus. Uh, I've had my coffee this morning. I can tell. Then when he's done, everybody puts their Bibles down and they don't pick them up for the rest of the sermon. So you're, it's just a, basically a prop that you bring with you to do this and then you put it away for the rest of the, the, the session. So the, the, the six lines that Joel has uh, in recent years deleted from this are, I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, every living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. God bless you. He doesn't really talk about why he removed these words. I I read some criticisms from members of the evangelical community that accuse him of like trying to get rid of the more religious parts of his sermons. Honestly, like I told you before we started, I think it's because he can't pull it off. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't fit into his style of preaching. That's his dad. Yeah, it does say never like five times. I think he was like, I want to use this. This is this is a great way to get people started and and to convince them that everything I'm about to say is in the Bible. I tell them that I'm going to teach them the word of God, then they put their Bibles down and then I can sell them anything. <laughs> Every single time I see this or I hear it, I think, have you seen the movie Army of Darkness? I have. It's been a while, but I have, and I know exactly what you're referring to. When Ash goes, this is my boomstick. This is my boomstick. The 12-gauge double-barreled Remington. S-Mart's top of the line. Yeah, I think of Joel being like, this is my Bible. Yep. Have you ever watched Joel Osteen? Have you ever watched any of his sermons, Marissa? Honestly, I've probably only seen him when they're like spliced into YouTube clips. It's just something that I, I can't get into. You know, I, I would rather have a, a, quote, boring sermon. That's kind of how I was raised. He is a very much like a bubblegum preacher. He doesn't want to offend anybody. He doesn't ever talk about homosexuality. He never talks about abortion. He never talks about sin at all, really. If you go and you watch John Osteen's sermons, it's a lot about you know, redeeming yourself as a sinner. Joel Osteen doesn't talk about that at all. His sermons are more like, God loves you. God wants great things for you. And these are the things you need to do and think in order to be prosperous. Yeah, it seems like when when you did say inspirational speaker and looking over the contents of what we're going to read today, where his his kind of book of quote, selected wisdom, it's kind of like a Christian live, laugh, love is how I would describe it. There's a, there's a lot of Tony Robbins that exists in Joel Osteen. So let's get into who this guy is. Let's do it. You did a lot of research. You know, it was hard too because he tries really hard to be squeaky clean. Joel Scott Osteen was born March 5th, 1963 in Houston, Texas. His parents, 
founded the Lakewood Church in Houston in 1959. John Osteen, his dad, had built a pretty sizable regional following as a pastor with local broadcasts as a televangelist in Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas. His dad started a national television ministry sometime around 1978 or 1979. Sources vary on exactly when that was. Osteen graduated high school in 1981 and enrolled at Oral Roberts University. Oral Roberts has been in the news a lot lately because they did pretty well in the NCAA tournament this year. They were the the Cinderella story. They lost yesterday in a nail biter. I guess Joel wasn't praying hard enough for him. (laughs) I wonder if that's going to be in the, uh, we're recording right now Sunday morning. I wonder if that's going to be part of his sermon today. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Oral Roberts basketball team started their journey to the Sweet 16 this year back in November. Their first game was November 25th, and they they finished their season yesterday in a two-point loss to Arkansas. Five-month season, and that's about as long as Joel Osteen studied at Oral Roberts. He left after a semester, citing a desire to help his father develop Lakewood's growing TV ministry, working behind the cameras as a producer of the church's broadcasts. A common criticism among evangelicals is that Joel Osteen dropped out of divinity school. I don't think that's a fair criticism because Joel Osteen never studied divinity. He was studying radio and TV broadcasting in the one semester that he was at Oral Roberts. He was a freshman. I don't even know if he took any of those classes. It was probably just like English cop. I was going to say like that stage, you're kind of a pre-major still. Can't really declare the major when you're taking, when you're in your first quarter, they're taking English 101. Exactly. So for decades, Joel worked behind the scenes, helping to build his dad's television ministry. Many, many times over those years, John Osteen encouraged and according to Joel, sometimes begged Joel to preach, but Joel always said no. He said he didn't want to do it. He was more comfortable being behind the scenes. Joel married Victoria Ilhoff, now Victoria Osteen, on April 4th, 1987. Victoria is co-pastor at Lakewood, and she she handles the women's ministry there. They have two children who are both in their 20s now, and they're both involved in the ministry. They're both collecting paychecks from Lakewood. On January 17th, 1999, the big day came. Joel finally accepted his father's suggestion and preached his very first sermon. Six days later, John Osteen died of a heart attack. This is often cited by Joel as kind of like his origin story as a a pastor and the first step on his journey to becoming the number one pastor in America, which is how he's often framed. I don't know how much of it is accurate. I don't know when he agreed to preach on January 17th. I don't know if it was the same day or if it was six months earlier. Because this is all according to him, right? Right. It's all according to him. He he kind of likes to heavily suggest that God was pushing him and open him his heart to this. God knew that John Osteen was going to die and needed Joel to step up and replace him. So two weeks after his father's death, Osteen began preaching regularly. And then nine months later on October 3rd, he was installed as the new senior pastor at Lakewood Church. When Joel Osteen took over, Lakewood's weekly attendance was about 5,000, which is a pretty sizable church. Right now, they still have services going on, but they are social distancing. If you watch it, there's way less people. Pre-COVID, so February of last year, 
attendance to Joel Osteen's weekly services reached over 52,000. That's more people than Puyallup, Washington has. I don't know if how many people are familiar with Puyallup, Washington. For locals, you know, it's a pretty sizable city. I want to clarify, that's not 52,000 people in one service. That's 52,000 people over four services weekly. Does that include streaming or watching online or what have you? No. So t- the TV and internet audience is well over 10 million weekly. Whoa. Some estimates have it as high as 20 million. His church seats about 20,000 people. Their church is in the former Houston Compact Center, which was the old home of the Houston Rockets, the NBA team. In 2003, the church purchased it and made over $105 million worth of renovations over 15 months. They added seats. They took an NBA stadium, and for their church, they had to add extra seats. Wow. That blows my mind. Do they still have concession stands? <laughs> you know what? I don't know, but it would not surprise me if they sell some kind of food and drink. You got to, you got to, you know, 20,000 people there. Like, people are going to want to eat. Can I get an Oatstein milk latte, please? That was terrible. You can cut that. What constitutes a mega church for you? Is it like over 500, over 1,000? I will tell you that I looked this up for this episode, and typically experts say 2,000 in weekly attendance. Okay. 2004, Osteen's first book, Your Best Life Now, was published. It was on the New York Times bestsellers list for two years and sold over 8 million copies worldwide. This book was heavily criticized by the theological community, and it represents the first time that the evangelical community started to criticize Joel Osteen for prosperity gospel, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Before he published Your Best Life Now, he wasn't necessarily on people's radars as much. It's not that he wasn't preaching this prosperity gospel. It's just that people weren't necessarily paying enough attention to him. When Your Best Life Now dropped and just blew up, people were like, wait a minute, this guy seems like a heretic, which is a label that he gets a lot from that community. I think it's really important to note that while Joel Osteen is undeniably the most popular pastor in America today, many, many, many people in mainstream Christianity do not like him. They think he, they think he is preaching a false gospel. What is the content of this book? Because it does seem very motivational, speaker, inspirational. Like, what is the actual content of this book? The overall theme of this book is that you do not need to wait until you die to have your best life. You can have your best life now here on earth. God wants you to be happy and he wants you to live your dreams and have your successes. The reason why this is heavily criticized by mainstream Christianity and by theologians is because it contradicts what the Bible teaches, which is that your best life awaits you. Like your best life is going to be with Jesus after you die or after he comes again. If you're you know, a believer, if you profess his name, then you will gain access to your best life. Osteen teaches the opposite of that. He teaches that God wants you to basically create heaven here on earth. Earth right now is pretty shitty, to be blunt. But at the same time, it's like, we can make things better here. But ultimately, yes, the the end goal is that everything will be waiting for us in heaven. And while we're here, it's not great, but... Uh, but see, what, what you're saying is not what Joel Osteen is saying. No. <laughs> we use the phrase, make things better here on earth. That is not what Joel Osteen is saying. 
what Joel Osteen is saying is that you personally, if you believe in God, you can have riches. Not that you can improve the earth and you can make things better for other people. For other people, yeah. You can be blessed. You can have nice things. Ooh. Yeah. So this is why that book and his teachings are heavily criticized by theologians as heresy. It does seem very selfish. Yeah, for sure. This book spawned a whole lot of other cross merchandise. There is a Your Best Life Now board game. I really want to get it and play it with you. I know when you told me about it, I looked it up like eBay, like 35 bucks, 20 bucks shipping. Like I'm going to find this thing at some garage sale. I just know it. The worst part about it is it's $40 roughly. And every review of it says you can't play it. The rules don't make any sense. The pieces don't match up to the instructions. And the worst part about that is it makes me want it more. <laughs> yeah, because it just sounds like a train wreck. It was probably developed so quickly. You're using you're using the word develop, and I don't know any development process. I think it was like, what's the cheapest game pieces you can give us? Just toss them in a box. What's some cardboard we can print on and just print the same stuff that's in the book and just package it up and send it out there and make people give us money for it. You can buy this stuff now. You can buy other OCM merchandise now on his website. I do want to buy it now because I want my best life now. I don't want it three weeks from now. I want it now. I will pay for overnight delivery. Because I want it now. Osteen has a lot of celebrity fans, including Kanye, Tyler Perry, Mariah Carey, Christian Chenoweth, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey said that Joel Osteen changed her life. Yeah, but Oprah also said that about Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and what's his face from A Million Little Pieces. Fuck that guy. No, she is very adamant that Joel Osteen is like the preeminent inspirational speaker. I mean, that's also easy for wealthy, famous people to say because he says, you know, oh, if you're in good graces with God, you're going to be wealthy. And they're like, oh, well, I guess I did it. Right. Exactly. I think and I think that that is a brilliant part of his grift, right? That like he can get all these influencers to buy into his shit because he's telling them that God loves them, especially. <laughs> right. Yeah. He has, as of 2021, an estimated net worth of approximately a hundred million dollars he owns some pretty expensive shit that for a normal rich guy you'd be like yeah rich guys they own shit like that but for a pastor i mean most pastors senior pastors make 50 60 thousand dollars a year and they usually just live in the little house a lot of pastors that are connected to smaller churches do have a house that is provided to them a humble house that is provided to them by the church. Osteen also has a house that is provided to him by his church. It is a 17,000 square foot mansion in River Oaks, which is a very private, highly exclusive, rich people neighborhood in Houston, Texas, that they purchased for $10.5 million in 2010. That is not included in his net worth because, as I said, that is provided by the church. He also owns a 5,600 square foot home. Uh, it was worth $2.9 million in 2010 when they purchased the 17,000 square foot mansion. Osteen and his wife still own this house. As far as I know, no one lives in it. It's sitting empty right now. I want to to really emphasize though, they purchased this $11 million home. The church purchased this for them in 2010. Marissa, do you remember what the economy was like? Hmm. 
I remember there was something something with recession and housing. So exactly. It's, it's a little over a year after the housing bubble just popped. And this is when Joel Osteen, his family, their church, decided he needed to upgrade his house. I'm wondering, what was he in before? He was in that 5,600 square foot home. Oh, gotcha. I mean, 5,600, come on. Like, that is, that's not too shabby. That would be described as a mansion if he didn't have a 17,000 square foot mansion. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) He owns several cars. We don't know all of the cars that he owns. He's pretty private about a lot of his possessions. I wonder why. He does drive a, a Ferrari 458 Italia which is uh, $325,000. Of course. Of course, you can't just drive like a Honda Civic. Right? It's just absolutely ridiculous to me that anyone would have a $325,000 car, but especially a pastor. That being said, it goes along with his teaching of having your best life now. He's not out there getting cars or you know providing housing to other people. He has his best life now, So, and he earned it, so... And when he gets criticized for this, his response is always in the vein that don't be jealous. God doesn't want you to be jealous. God rewards those who aren't jealous and who focus on themselves and have that right focus for improvement. That's how he responds to people criticizing him. He also has an Airbus A319 private jet. A lot of televangelists have private jets. They usually have what is known as a Gulfstream 4, which is about a $30 million private jet that sits, I think, like 20 people. Osteen's private jet sits over 100 people and is $86 million. Who's he taking with him? He has the biggest private jet of any pastor, I think, in the entire world. And if you're thinking, okay, so he's got an $86 million jet and then he has $14 million and that's how he has a $100 million net worth. No, because again, that private jet is provided to him by the church. It is not included in his net worth. And his mansion. Right. Is also... Exactly. Because, you know, God doesn't want you flying first class or coach. God wants you all by yourself. I mean, I would imagine he has his entourage that comes with him, like his wife and his kids and maybe some relatives and his assistant pastors. For sure. He has a full crew. He he doesn't just use this for business, though. He's taking his private jet for family vacations. Of course. He's not the only one that's making money off of his church. His associate pastors are easily the highest paid associate pastors in the world. John Gray, one of his associate pastors, a few years ago bought his wife a $200,000 Lamborghini. Just to give you some kind of reference, the average associate pastor in the United States makes about $35,000 a year. They can't afford $200,000 Lamborghinis, but this guy can. Not even for him, for his wife. For his wife. It's not even his. That's for his wife, so she can run errands for the family. <laughs> Take the Lamborghini. Let's talk about what Osteen preaches. That's really important, right? We, we talked a lot about the prosperity gospel. Just so people know, to give them a quick, like, little brief definition. That's a belief that the reward of material gain is the will of God for all pious Christians. It's the idea that God wants us to be happy, and if we believe in him, he will give us good things. You get stuff. He will often cite the Sermon on the Mount as evidence of this. When Jesus feeds the masses with the loaves and the fish, the five-two, the apostles, they all note that there was leftover. He made too much. 
And to Osteen, that means God always makes too much. Jesus knew how many people were in attendance. He knew exactly how much food to make. He made too much to show that God wants us to have an abundance of stuff. Hmm, I don't I don't know about that correlation, but okay. So Michael Horton, who is a PhD in theology, one of the one of the top reformed theologists uh, in the world, he calls Osteen a heretic. Other theologians also think that his gospel is heresy. Osteen kind of tries to downplay it. He won't directly say he's not a prosperity preacher, but he'll say that prosperity means something other than money. It just means happiness. Osteen does not take a salary from the church. If you watch their broadcast, they do not solicit donations on air. And he claims to have made all of his money from book sales, even though, as we said, he lives in a $10 million house and has an $86 million private jet, both paid for by the church. Yeah, that's great that you don't take a salary. But if your housing is covered by, I'm going to, this is basically, instead of a church, it is a company that basically just doesn't pay taxes. Right. So your housing is paid for, your transportation is paid for, probably all your food and dining are paid for because you just write them off as business expenses. So yeah, of course you don't have to pay a salary because everything you need is covered. And those associate pastors that are buying their wives Lamborghinis, they're getting paid by the church. This is where I want you to go to Joel Osteen's website, joelosteen.com. All right, I'm there. Because he he makes a big deal about how he doesn't solicit donations on air. So when you go to his website, yep, he's got a donate button right there at the top. And the minimum donation is 75 that it auto-populates in. That is outrageous to me. No, I don't know. Not 75. I want to... You just go down the list. It's like, oh, the minimum's 25. Oh, I can do other? Okay, cool. Uh, why am I doing this? But they do give a link to the Why Give page. And then... The Why Give page is bullshit. The Why Give page is the weakest Why Give page because it doesn't have even like a video of like, here's what we do with the money. It just says, with your support, we can reach millions of people through our broadcast, podcast, and website. So basically, they're telling me, give me money for our hosting and bandwidth. Right. And they are heavily criticized for a lack of outreach ministry. It is estimated that that less than 10%, probably around 5% of the donations that they receive go to any kind of outreach ministry. So when you see a church that is taking in a lot of money, but not putting a lot out, I mean, that raises a lot of red flags. That's the thing that we know where the money is going. So let's get into Hurricane Harvey, because I think This is where a lot of people know Osteen from. So back in 2017, during the hurricane in Houston, Hurricane Harvey, Osteen faced a lot of backlash for apparently not making his church available to people affected by the hurricane. Because he's he's in a giant building, I mean, a former sports stadium, and they weren't taking in people who were displaced by the hurricane, the flooding, any of that. August 26, 2017, videos of the empty church started circulating around the internet and he started facing social media criticism for not making it available. The next day, John Gray, one of the associate pastors at Lakewood, tweeted from both his personal account and the Lakewood church account that the church was, quote, inaccessible due to severe flooding. And he also tweeted from his personal account that, quote, if we could get there, all caps, we would open the doors. The next day on August 28th in the evening, it was announced that Lakewood would open as an emergency shelter the following day at noon, which it indeed did. Then on August 30th, Joel disputed the claim that the church was ever closed, calling the notion a, quote, 
false narrative. Thanks, Trump, for giving us fake news. We can use that. Yeah, I remember that where people were going up and there's like, there's no flooding here at all. What are you talking about? It is worth noting that the Houston area has 28 mosques and every one of those mosques was an emergency shelter during the hurricane. That's not a good image for Christianity in Houston. I would hesitate to call this Christianity, but they're in a former basketball stadium and they can't even open it. I will say that this is a really hard dynamic to call them Christians, but you have to call them Christians because Osteen professes that he is a Christian pastor. His followers go to his church services thinking that they are Christians. Even though we want to say they're not following Christian teachings or values or any of these things, because that's like an impulse that we all have, they are because they say they are. You know what I mean? They're not going to call themselves anything else. And they're if you are rich or Joel Osteen is $100 million net worth, it's just going to be like, well, because I'm blessed. and I. So fast forward to 2020, just this last December. If you remember, we were all waiting for stimulus checks. We were all waiting for Congress to get their shit together and to give us some money to affect us all during this really hard time. We did not get it in December. However, Lakewood received $4.4 million in federal PPP loans for COVID relief. That was on December 15th, 2020. That same day, Joel tweeted out, quote, everything that happens in life The difficulties, the delays, the things that are not fair, they're not random. God is giving you the opportunity to grow, to come up higher. He's getting you prepared to handle the weight of favor, the weight of influence. I think what it means is God gave us $4.4 million because he favors us. And you poor little fucks, you can't handle that weight. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Harvey? I don't think so. I just, I mean, I remember it coming up just actually very recently too. I think we we had mentioned it in a previous episode when kind of those uh, winter storms that were affecting Texas just within the past couple months and people were losing power, didn't have water. And this, this kind of recurred again. I remember someone on Twitter was like, oh, they're not open, but then it had turned out that they had been open. So I just feel like the church kind of learned their lesson that if anything comes up, they can't be closed. I think that when the winter storms happened, everybody expected Osteen to fuck people over again. I think he was definitely prepared this time. And they did take in a number of people. Uh, They were used as a warming center in Houston because they do have access to a lot of generators. They got to keep those broadcasts going. (laughs) Right. So let's talk about one of my favorite. I don't know if you want to call it a scandal because he's not a very scandalous person. He, He keeps his his shit pretty clean. That's what he wants you to think. I'm sure he has someone on his payroll to to cover everything up from his past. (laughs) For sure. So in August of 2011, uh, a lawsuit was filed by the Chicago band American Dollar for copyright infringement for the amount of $3 million against Lakewood Church. The band claimed that Osteen continued to use their instrumental track Signaling Through the Flames after a one-year licensing agreement expired. The band claimed that the original agreement pertained to DVD and online promotions only and not for TV broadcasts, but Osteen was using the track all over the place. Lakewood released an official statement saying, quote, the music in question is one minute of background music, which Lakewood Church had a license to use. The plaintiff is apparently confused about the scope of the license and are now demanding $3 million for uses that are authorized 
we think this is unreasonable, end quote. Lakewood sent over a new licensing agreement for the band to sign. The band did not want to sign it. The band stated that through a licensing agent, they had unknowingly agreed to let the church use it originally, and now they just wanted them to stop using it. It sounded like that they were trying to get the church to to stop after that one year, and the church was just ignoring them. So they sued them for $3 million to get them to stop because the band did not want to be associated with Joel Osteen. Yeah, I'll blame them. I remember that comes up all the time with politicians using music and the artist is like, no, please don't. No, you didn't have permission to use that. And I mean, in this case, it does sound like it was kind of questionable contracts. And I want to say the bands, like a couple of guys that met in high school, they seem pretty chill. They were kind of like, you know, we just want our friends to stop giving us shit that you're using our song. That's a good point. A judge tossed out the suit stating that the band did not make their case. They gave them two weeks to amend. It doesn't seem like they ever did. Osteen still uses this song in broadcast. To me, that seems petty as fuck because you listen to the song. It's a, it's a catchy instrumental. I'll clip in some of it here. It's my kind of music that I listen to when I'm kind of trying to de-stress it's, or it's kind of ambient. Just focus. Yeah, yeah. It's it's music I, I typically listen to. And I've never heard this before and I never heard of this lawsuit. So yeah, that's that's petty as fuck. But I will say that because it's that kind of ambient music and because there's just so much of it, it doesn't make any sense to me that he continues to use this song. You can find thousands of songs that are kind of like this song. <laughs> And you could use, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to use that song. So, Osteen has written 18 books to date. He writes them with his wife, Victoria. Some have argued that she does most of the writing. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I will say that Your Best Life Now and another book, Every Day of Friday, How to Be Happier Seven Days a Week, are very controversial within the evangelical communities. Those are the books that most get cited as being heresy, the plot of every day of Friday is that you can be happy seven days a week and make every day a Friday and every day can be fun and pursuing your dreams. And mainstream Christianity is like, that's not what the Bible tells us. You know what I thought was really insensitive too? What's that? Is if you don't work a nine to five Monday through Friday job, if you're like in the service industry and you work through Sunday, Friday sucks. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. So like I said, he's written 18 books. We are not talking about any of his books today. I'm so happy. We're talking about a little piece of shit put together by a guy named Stephen W. Gardner called Joel Osteen Wisdom. Marissa, you want to tell the audience why we picked this one? So we were, were, were looking through Joel Osteen's books. None of them are free. None of them are readily available at my public library right now that I check through. I guess people are borrowing them digitally. None of them are free on Amazon. None of them are free on Kindle Unlimited, even if you do the little trial thing. So we had to find something that involved Joel Osteen, had his content, but we did not want to pay for it. I think that the other option we had was probably to go to a Goodwill and probably try to find one of his books, but we did not want to pay for any of his material. So the full title is Joel Osteen Wisdom, 101 Devotions and Insights from the World's Favorite Pastor. It is 
book number two in the Spirit series. This guy, Stephen Gardner, he gets paid to collate various little quips of inspirational speakers and inspirational people and put them into ebooks. I mean, that's what he does. He has one for T.D. Jakes, who's another pastor. He also has one that's it's Mark Cuban wisdom. This is the wisdom of, of your favorite shark. So yes, I am a, I don't want to say fan. It's a guilty pleasure that I do watch Shark Tank very often to see what ridiculous things people come up with and the terrible nature of capitalism. <laughs> right. This book is just literally 101. It's not even really 101, but it's 101 little one to two sentence quips that are supposed to like inspire you every day. It's hard to even call them devotionals. True to Joel Osteen, they don't have like scriptural references. One of them alludes to a scripture, but he doesn't mention the scripture and he takes it completely out of context. Even using the term reading this quote, everything is in quotes. It's like quote reading this quote book because all it is just if you copied and pasted quotes from interviews, sermons, what have you, they call them devotions and insights, but they're literally just one or two sentence little snippets of like, oh, live your best life and God will bless you, stuff like that. But have the the actual quotes here. And what Russell pointed out to me is, yes, there's supposedly 101 devotions and insights. What I did not notice skimming, I'm going to say skimming through this book because I did not really read it because it's just ridiculous. There's a handful that are reused word for word. Nine of them are reused. And all of these are numbered. So like number 48, you read it, da, 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 da. They're all numbered. You're going through and then it's the same one right. a couple pages later. And I don't know if this was a mistake, if they thought, when I say they, the author, Stephen Gardner, thought people would notice, or they just got lazy, or they didn't have enough, but that was a surprise to me. And then I, I think the one thing that was most amusing to me is when you're looking at this book, every single quote is attributed to Joel Osteen, like, why do you have to attribute every single quote to him if this book is literally called Joel Osteen Wisdom? Wait a second, though, because turn to number 16. Oh, no. Did I mess up? You didn't mess up. You didn't mess up. I, I wanted to point this out. There is one quote that is not attributed to Joel Osteen. It's not attributed to anyone. Oh, it's just, oh, wow, that's even late. So it's just, blank. but it, it has to be him. Come on. It's definitely him. I think that this is just Stephen Gardner forgetting to put Joel Osteen at the end of this. I think that the Joel Osteen crediting each quote to him was literally just to fill up space in this book. Like, you know, when, when you're in Bro. school and you're writing an essay and it has to be so many pages long. So you put in extra spaces between the sentences and you make the spacing like, right. I think that's literally what it did is to flesh out this book to just put, it creates an extra line on every page to just credit Joel Osteen. The quote that he may or may not have said is you're going to go through tough times. That's life. But I say nothing happens to you. It happens for you. See the positive in negative events. I think he said this. I don't think that they're trying to sneak one by you. This is probably something he said for someone trying to take shelter in his church during the hurricane. Right. But, you know, if you're trying to take shelter during a hurricane in his church um, and you don't like that, that's not who Joe, Joel is. Number five's got you. Because life's too short to spend it trying to keep others happy. You can't please everyone. To fulfill your destiny, stay true to your heart. And Joel's destiny is to be a dick to people during hurricanes. Yeah, these are these could be written by anyone. That's the thing. Except for number 55, which is falsely attributed to Joel Osteen. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about number 55? Yeah, so number 55 
the, the, the piece of, of wisdom that Joel wants to leave you with, or that Stephen wants to leave you with on the 55th day of this journey is that this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. And it's credited to Joel Osteen. But as you and I know, John Osteen said that. Can I tell you my favorite insight from Joel Osteen? <laughs> what, what is it? My favorite one in this book is number eight. And all it says is, if you have your health, if you have people in your life to love, you're blessed. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. I was reading this yesterday and I wasn't feeling very well. I'm just like laying on the couch, just all alone at home. And I'm like, well, I don't have my health. God fucking hates you, Marissa. Hashtag unblessed. Also, it sucks if you know you don't have your health, but you can't go to the doctor because you uh, don't have health insurance. God only blesses you with health insurance if you're worthy. Health is a blessing, though. And if you are unhealthy, you are correct. It's because God does not favor you. Number 63 is, as far as I can tell, the only time in this little quote book that Joel Osteen references scripture. He says, dare to believe if you think trickle, you will receive a trickle. If you think barely get by, then you will barely get by. If you think that your problem is too big, it will keep you defeated. But if you will learn to think flood, you will experience a flood. If you think overflow, you'll experience an overflow. If you dare think tidal wave, then God will, will release a tidal wave of his goodness in your life. This is what Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. Do you think that the victims of Hurricane Harvey were thinking flood and, and that's what the problem was? That's a terrible like analogy to use to talk about prosperity is like flooding and tidal waves. The scripture that he's mentioning, that he's referencing, the according to your faith, it will be done unto you. That's like from Matthew 9. That's when Jesus healed the blind man so he could see. Osteen's taking it wildly out of context here. He's making it sound like if you believe, you could have a beamer. It's not really scripture inspired. It's just all his. He's kind of just molding it to his will and what he wants it to say. A hundred percent. My favorite of these, though, going back, is number nine. God would not have put a dream in your heart if he had not already given you everything you need to fulfill it. Marissa, did I ever tell you that I want to be an NBA player? We don't even have an NBA team in Washington State, so... God gave me the skills. You know what? God put a dream in my heart to make this podcast, and we're making it happen. We are making it happen. So Joel's right, I guess. Making it happen with my stimulus money and buying new microphones. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for the new mic. Oh, no, it's a microphone fairy. Listeners, if you think that we sound better, let us know on Instagram or Twitter. If you think we sound worse or just you hate us anyway, please don't let us know because I have a very fragile ego. Let me know, though. Russell could handle any sort of criticism. I met Russell because he was a pub trivia host and any heckling he can handle. That's true. It's true. I can. Do you think Joel Osteen can handle he hecklers? Do you think he's pretty good at crowd control? I think he probably could. I think he's the kind of person on social media. Who knows? Maybe one of his kids is doing his social media. And I bet anything negative, they just go through and delete the whole comment thread. You know who really likes him? Not like a as a, as a follower, but, but thinks he's just like really hilarious. Jimmy Fallon. No. I don't even know why I'm saying no, because I am not a Jimmy Fallon fan. I hate him laughing at his own jokes. He was He had like President Trump on. He's not funny. Just going to say not a Jimmy Fallon fan, not a James Corden fan. You don't like the car karaoke with James Corden? No. I'm a Conan girl for life. Conan girl for life.
Ponin, if you're listening to this, I liked all your spots in 30 Rock. He was so good on 30 Rock. Yeah. I only have one last quote to talk about, but I want to save it from the very end. So are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. So number 101, the last thing, the last thing that this book tells us is, I am not who people say I am. I am who God says I am. And I think that just brings us full circle because in that scripture, Luke 20, 46, 47, I think Marissa showed us exactly who God says Joel Osteen is. Do you remember those billboards that they used to have? And I think they still have them sometimes where it was just a totally black background with white text and it would be attributed to God saying it and it would be, right. Joel, I think you're an idiot, sign God. Yeah, you're a grifter, God. I think I've said everything about Joel Osteen that I care to say today. Like some of our past episodes, like people we could go on and on about. And there's been blogs written about him and YouTube videos of people talking to a camera for an hour about how horrible these people are or why they don't deserve all this fame and wealth. So we're just adding on to that. But there's there's only so much you can say. I will confess that I have at times gotten a little too stoned. And started ranting to Marissa that I think Joel Osteen's the Antichrist. Oh, yeah. I don't want to talk about that. But he is. Let's just put it in this perspective. 10 million people watch him. 20,000 people coming into a stadium to hear what this guy has to say. And to buy whatever he's selling there. I'm just telling you, if Jesus walked into Lakewood, he'd be fucking tables up left and right. Just nuke it from orbit. But make sure no people are inside. Just gonna just gonna say that. Right. If Jesus nukes it during a natural disaster, there won't be anybody inside. No, because of all the flooding, they cannot even open the doors. Let's send this one out with a clip from Kanye on Joel Osteen. Yeah, we got a good closer of Kanye. It's just about a minute long. Not too bad for a Kanye rant, but yeah, we're just gonna close it out here with how Kanye feels about Joel Osteen in Lakewood Church. Thanks, Russell. We'll see you next week, everyone. Absolutely. You know, it's like the devil stole all the good producers, (laughs) the devil stole all the good musicians, all the good artists, all the good designers, all the good business people, and said, you got to come over and work for me. And now the trend, the shift is going to to change. Jesus has won the victory. Because now, and I told you about my, my arrogance and cockiness already. Now, the greatest artist that God has ever exist, uh, created is now working for him. <laughs>